This is a podcast from the Bartlett Review, sharing new ideas and disruptive thinking for the built environment, brought to you by the Bartlett Faculty of the Built Environment at University College London. When we look at the way that the workforce in infrastructure and construction is made up at the moment, basically it doesn't reflect the entire population. If we can embed leadership right from the outset, for me that's a big win. So it's unacceptable nowadays in the construction sector that someone might die on the construction site. But we still seem to think it's acceptable that we don't have women in leadership positions. Why? Hello, I'm Preeti Parikh. I'm Professor of Infrastructure Engineering and International Development and the director of the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction. In this episode of the Bartlett Review podcast, we're going to talk about the shortage of female talent working in the construction and infrastructure sectors and why this is an urgent problem for all of us. For many years, governments and employers have been talking about the benefits of hiring more women to work in the top jobs in engineering, construction and built environment. But despite those efforts, the lack of gender diversity remains a serious problem. What is putting women off these jobs and how can we do more to build a pipeline of female talent? By women, we mean everyone who would identify themselves as a woman. Today, I'm joined by two brilliant women who are well qualified to answer those questions. First is Julia Prescott, who is Deputy Chair of the National Infrastructure Commission, a co-founder of Meridium. Welcome, Julia. Good morning, Pretty. Delighted to be here. And also here with me is my colleague, Dr. Katrina Berger, an Associate Professor at the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction. Welcome, Katrina. Thanks, Pretty. Perhaps it would be useful if you could start with some context. Julia, can you give us a sense of the current situation and talk a little bit more about where we could realistically aim to be? Yes, thank you. Very happy to do so. Um, I think, first of all, I'd, I'd really like to say... In the infrastructure space, I very much believe we should create a a diverse and inclusive workplace that is representative of the public we serve and ensure that infrastructure planning, decision-making and implementation reflects the needs of the entire population. Now, when we look at the way that the workforce in infrastructure and construction is made up at the moment, basically it doesn't reflect the entire population. And... I did have a look at, we had been talking about statistics, and I did have a look at some of these statistics. And one of the things I'd say is that they're very uneven. They are not looked at very frequently, and certainly a number of data points were actually pre-COVID. So just a few statistics. Let's just take the water and energy sectors. At the moment, women make up 23.3% of employees in these sectors, But only 5% of major director roles are held by women and only 2.1% in construction. It's improving, but very slowly and with very little change, despite the variety of initiatives that are taking place. We had a further consideration around uh, more general statistics in the, uh, the infrastructure and space. And what we're seeing there is an improvement So, for example, we had female directors and senior managers 
across the whole space over the last 10 years, increasing percentage points from 12 to 19.3%. But when we look a little bit further down below the director and management space into the more junior roles, we're really seeing not a great uh, great improvement. I mean, one of the one of the areas that uh, I looked at is we look at around anything around skilled trades or elementary occupations. I mean, not just a percentage, but a vast percentage of the roles are taken by men and a tiny proportion by women. So we're not seeing a balanced picture across the board. We are seeing improvement, but there's an awful lot more to do. So... I think what you're saying is that we're seeing an improvement, but some of the stats are quite stark, especially on leadership and decision-making and how women play a role in the built environment infrastructure sector. And I personally think UK would benefit, and UK infrastructure would benefit from having women in more senior roles. Well, I go back to the original points I was making about diversity. I think that we face particularly in large projects, very difficult decisions. Diversity is often a uh, uh, an approach that we need to take. So we have as many brains and approaches and thinking all coming together to solve the problems. And I think that when we have uh, a tendency potentially to groupthink from a cultural or social perspective, that we would not get the best outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we have diverse groups of people coming from different directions, then I think we're going to get better outcomes. Julia, can you tell me a little bit more about the Diversity in Infrastructure Coalition and Charter, which I know is about guiding people to outcomes which are acceptable across the board in industry? I think where we are at the moment is still very much um, working with the various parties, gathering data, and perhaps the word charter might uh, might not come out at the end as the most suitable uh, instrument. But what I would say is that the concept that we're taking forward is that degree of, of standardisation of, of approach and looking at embedding in different corporate and public sector um, organisations baseline, a standardisation and a, a single approach. I mean... We, we've got to be clear that negative perceptions of women, expectations of, of, of behaviour and treatment should also be standardised and should be considered inappropriate that any of these activities now take place or they're even thought of. And as part of your work, you've been convening roundtables with leaders from construction infrastructure. Actually, one one of the points that, that, that really pulled me up, people were talking about the initiatives, they were talking about their experience, what they've done, and I had a very clear voice saying, well, what is the aim of all of this? And I think it actually exemplified the frustration that, that women feel at the moment. You know, there's all the groups that have come together, the initiatives that have been made, uh, the, the stepping forward... And yet there still seems to be a significant imbalance in the construction infrastructure sectors between men and women. And the stats we talked about in the first instance are very clear about that. Absolutely. And Kat, you've been doing a lot of thinking on the current gaps, but also obstacles that typically stop women from following careers in infrastructure, construction and leadership roles. Yeah, so I think in terms of the research that we have, there is a lot of work inside of organizations that tends to focus on standard um, and historically well-known issues such as you know not having flexible working opportunities and sometimes what is felt to be a discriminatory culture 
there are questions around the leaky pipeline. So we have an increase in female graduates in engineering and construction, but somehow they are then lost on the way to leadership positions. Um, there are much bigger questions around the way that the approach to women in infrastructure industries is currently framed. So because there is so much focus on programs inside of organizations, many of the structural issues and the question of societal influence on the role of women in construction is often simply not considered. Uh, you talk about flexible working practices. I mean, this is not great for those with caring responsibilities. And part of the challenge is that women often ha- end up doing the heavy lifting on caring, which is why the flexible working practices is even more important for them. It's debatable because there is research that suggests that you know flexible working is then perhaps not always connected well to career progression. There is a risk of all these small policies in organizations being, you know, in some way supportive of women staying in the workforce, but then not achieving what we're talking about today, getting into leadership positions, because this idea of the leader being an all-consuming role is still there. And until this changes, and there is perhaps a rethink of how we structure organizations to be less hierarchical, or if we unpack the role of the leader a bit more, um, there is perhaps a gap between where we allow women to be and where we would want to see change. I mean, yes, the future leader, what would the future leader in construction and infrastructure look like? And how can we create an enabling environment for women to progress? Lack of progression is a big challenge and recognition. And quite often women end up doing roles or activities for organizations which are not then recognized as a metric for progression. So rethinking what leadership means in the industry and rethinking what those progression metrics are, I think is quite critical. Julia, what are your perceptions of what leadership should be in construction and infrastructure? (laughs) I know this is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When we're looking at leadership in, in construction, I do think that we often come down to that male stereotype and the feeling that the the sort of physical strength is absolutely essential, not only in being able to physically move whatever you're constructing, but also in terms of your meetings and approaches to meetings. And I always remember some years ago, somebody very much in the construction industry who said, well, no, you can't be a real manager, you know, till you've been shouted at by men above you and you can show that you're a man. And I'm thinking, whoa, (laughs) this is quite good stereotyping that you're giving me here. But this was an individual who who was very much, um, how can I put it, imbued with the traditional mores of the construction industry. And I, but I think that we always have to be careful when we're talking about leadership in the construction industry, that we first of all park those uh, that vision, and say today, you know, what what qualities are we looking for in terms of leadership? So I think we need to think about the wording when we're talking about leaders. I think we need to think about the advertisement when we're advertising for leaders and I think we need to think about what actually is a very positive outcome. So recruitment is uh, important. Uh, Thinking about the composition of panels, do we have diverse panels who would understand diverse kind of voices and views, processes that can remove unconscious bias as well? So can we anonymize uh, applications 
So thinking about those action points that can help remove biases, can help improve recruitment, I think is also important in addition to addressing this issue of progression, which I keep on coming back to. I was wondering if there are other barriers. I mean, there are stereotypical ideas about women lacking confidence or, you know, requiring on average 70% of the job description to represent what they already can do, whereas men go for jobs that I think is 30%. They can do 30% of it and will grow into the role. But these are anecdotal figures. I don't know if that is truly what holds women back. Um, I think it's more a question of assuming that or getting to the tension where the idea is that women need to fix themselves to meet certain expectations. And the other question is, what would be required in terms of a transformation of organizations, of expectations that we have of how projects are you know, assembled um, in terms of people to deliver infrastructure in a way that delivers the social benefits? And I think for me, this is a key question, because if we are having most of the infrastructure investment being delivered through projects, and we accept that these projects should have societal benefit, then they should be delivered by organizations that in some way are representative of this um, society. And I think that's where there is always this question about there must be a business case for getting women in certain roles. But it's a bit principles-based case and fairness-based case for me. I mean, I think it's interesting what you say about fix the woman, because I was looking at the, um, I think it's Ely and Meyer work that was done around 2000, really the four points that they made which I think are are, are fascinating you know first of all how do you solve the problem fix the woman great then (laughs) then you uh, value the feminine you know you you, you say my culture is to value the feminine then you have policies to compensate for you know so additional childcare flexible work and the rest of it but the fourth point and the point that they made back in 2000 I think it's probably still relevant is actually reviewing the work culture making sure that work culture all around women is very sympathetic to their progression and it's actually making sure that we we think more now about what the work culture is like let's try and think of a way we can really impact on the culture absolutely at the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction we are thrilled to be working with you on this and this is something Kat has been leading on yeah we were invited to contribute a case study to the report that infrastructure matters put together And um, we highlighted three different ways that we are trying to increase gender diversity at VSSC. So one is our inclusive curriculum health check. And the second one is the gender diversity around our students, the way that we recruit. And in particular, and thanks to Julia, we have a women scholarship for our MBA in major infrastructure delivery. And that has led to a significant increase in um, women-led applications to the program. And the, the last one is really the research that we do. And I think that's where we were leading in terms of also making sure infrastructure is fit for women. And the research point is um, it's key because we can build infrastructure. But if we do not have, say, I'm talking about simple measures. Do we have enough street lighting? Is it safe for people to move around, especially women? Mm. Because those become barriers for women to be engaged in the workforce. No, I, I, I think that's that's the sort of second part of it, as it were. I mean, I think, first of all, we need to think organisationally, we need to think about culture, we need to think about progression. The second area, we need to think, particularly in an infrastructure sense, you know, what are, what are the design decisions that are being made? Are they broad enough? 
in the context of, I mean, we, we come back to street lighting, we come back to transport, and we come back to safety quite often. Also, we need to think about accessibility as well. This is the Bartlett Review podcast, sharing new ideas and disruptive thinking for the built environment. Thinking about a future where artificial intelligence, big data, digital technologies is going to be very, very important. I was wondering if there's a role for digital transformation of the sector and whether that would help to address this challenge, Kat. Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting point because there is some research which suggests tentatively that with the digital construction of the con- uh, digital transformation of the construction sector, we have new roles emerging, and we also transform the way that we've traditionally done construction. So things like site visits may be no longer necessary. We can have virtual inspections. So we have new skills that are needed, and we have new ways of planning and designing and monitoring assets. And so there's a question: What does it mean for women? this transformation in the construction industry? Does it mean that we now have greater opportunities for culture change, change in the way we work, change in the way we build? Or is this something that, you know, we're perhaps being too optimistic about because considering that there are lots of technical skills are needed and looking at the, you know, STEM subjects or also data analytics degrees that we have in universities, we have a similar representation of women there so it's 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 something I would really like to get your views on. I mean I, I, I do have a slight concern that people that are writing the code tend to be overwhelmingly male. Mm. Um, where I will help uh, going beyond actually who's writing it is potentially in transparency and access accessibility of knowledge because what I think one of the issues in the, the, the gender balance has actually been a lack of transparency. I mean, clearly, the most glaring one is uh, the gender pay gap. And it actually does give us a good data point in relation to what we've been talking about. Um, if we just look at the construction project managers, uh, the gender pay gap there is that women are paid 18.9% less than men. And on the civil engineering side, women are paid 11.2% less than men. Gender pay gaps are sometimes difficult to really dive into because um, it's, doesn't, it's not absolutely clear on seniority. But I think it's a good indication, a good data point that uh, within the industry, women are not on equal footing to men. But there's lack of transparency in statistics, in recruitment processes. And I think if we can we can open up the field using as many data sources as we can, it'll become clear that if, as a senior person, you are actually promulgating the idea that you should have as strong gender balance as possible, then I think you can then either show it or not show it in the context of how transparent you're being with the data below. And Data is, I mean, that's what good thing about AI is data is going to be easier to manage. The bad thing is we don't know who's writing some of the <laughs> some of the underlying code. There's another, it's a question more than, than a point. And so with digital transformation, how we learn changes also. So we have lots of online learning opportunities now, lots of ways of, you know, skill development that do not require in-person learning or traditional ways of taking out time and and the way we deliver learning changes will that change how workforce learning changes so will women have greater opportunities to progress throughout and maybe stay by acquiring skills in this way what do you think i think you see i think you've come across a classic 
um, uh, female approach. Now, now, nothing wrong with it, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But <laughs> the classic is if I can gather as much information as mm. I possibly can, then I am going to be able to, to progress. And I mean, I, I think a lot of women like that, and I think you've already quoted the statistics on that. I think there's another element as well that we can see, which is if I'm in an environment that remains collaborative and shows the impact of decisions that are being made and that I've got enough time to question those decisions, I'm going to be talking about a sort of different social cultural world that isn't going to be specifically related to knowledge, but it's going to be related to approach. And there's a great danger somehow that, that, that women sometimes don't interact enough and in terms of making their voices heard, you know, they 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 think if I know one hundred percent of it, then I'm going to be I'm going to be successful, and then suddenly some some man appears above them saying, <laughs> "I care about one hundred percent." And there's, um, I mean, coming back to data, uh, the thing about artificial intelligence is it relies on data. It's data hungry. Now, but if you think about evidence on leadership in construction and infrastructure. If you were to run an AI model of some sorts, and I'm not an expert, but if you were to run an AI model and think about what it showcases from the data we have, how much would it be linked to women leaders? It always depends on the question you ask. If you look at the quality of decisions that are made, and that's maybe an error that AI can help us with, you actually look at the output of those decisions and then you then reassess that in the context of if you had taken a differently gendered approach. I mean, I think one of the the, the examples that uh, is used of that is um, is Carillion. You know, would there be a different type of approach? And would there be a yeah. different outcome? And so I think we can use that type of data. But if we use what I call just just sort of top level historical data, it's it's rather like uh, the average history book. Not a lot of women appear. But if you look at the quality and the output of data that you get and you actually compare that in a differently gendered world with differently gendered uh, approaches, then you can maybe think, well, actually, this could have had an impact. So basically, it means that we need gender diverse teams, human beings who can interrogate the data, but also make sure they're asking the right questions from the outset. Uh, in terms of quality and I think that's also key in I think the use of digital kind of data information for the benefit of engineering construction sector. One of the arguments I read when preparing for the podcast and I think it's a lie but you know it, it basically said something around women don't want to go into the leadership positions why would you want to give 60 hours a week um, to a role that's probably going to last only two to three years because you know tenure is short in infrastructure, major infrastructure projects. So it's basically quite a smart move that women don't go for these positions because you know it's not very attractive if you look at it from a work-life balance point of view. And maybe you have a sufficiently good quality of life not doing this. Well, I think that's that's got a bunch of preconceptions in there, hasn't okay. it? <laughs> um, and I think I think actually it's a very typical statement of of sort of post event rationalisation, isn't it? We we haven't got any women here because actually you know they don't really want to do it, do they? And you know we, they've got this wonderful work work balance, and you know we don't accept it. So therefore we'll put we'll put men in in charge. You know we'll pay them more, we'll give them better terms and conditions, we'll call them leaders, and we'll say you have the decision out there. 
And to me, it's I've I've heard that you know over over again. You know, oh, women, you know, they don't want to work sixty. Are we? You know, so really, what are we looking at? We're making preconceptions about what women want in life. So our women are criticised more for failures. Is there a bigger fuss kicked up when women leaders are perceived to fail? Sometimes it's easier to point out what are seen as the shortcomings of women when there are fewer women. You know, if we could flip it on the other side, you know, the shortcomings of of men when there are a lot of men tend to get sort of subsumed in a way into the the volume of numbers. And I think it's this this actual picking on particular individuals as being the ones to blame. You know, who am I going to blame? Oh, look, there's a woman, you know. Clearly, you know, there are our cultural, you know, mores would suggest that women aren't suitable for this and clearly she's not a suitable woman. It's an it's easy steps to make. Whereas if we actually had uh, a more robust culture in the context of thinking about male and female leadership, it wouldn't be such an easy uh, easy number of steps to make. Um, that 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 are then going to be picked up by the media and repeated and 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 that's when the persecution starts. You know, some some women actually want to lead. You know, I'm not sure that there's a, in your statements there's any <laughs> there's any suggestion that there is actually a desire in women in women to lead. I think that one of the issues is that there is this term woman. You know, but it's a box um, and it's a category, but. When you look at it from the gender research point of view, it always emphasizes it being a process, a learned process, assigned norms, assigned role expectations. And if we look at being woman as a process, then I think we can unpack the culture change idea mm. um, rather than going in for women are like this and I don't want to do that and they don't want to do it. So it's important to also take this idea of social well, progress by unpacking what it means to be a woman in infrastructure and construction. And also here we're making an assumption that all men will want to lead automatically. And it could be the case that not all men would want to lead as well. Exactly. And I think I think this argues for education, not only the individual from the very early stages, but education within the workforce as a whole. And there's been some interesting research, again, from McKinsey that's often quoted in this area in terms of having that breadth of diversity coming in, changing companies, improving their results. So that's something when I'm listening to to the statements you're making, I'm thinking to myself, well, who's ever thinking that is assuming that there is no general benefit to having diversity. They've just got a thing against women, really. (laughs) (laughs) And... um... I wanted us to reflect on the role of higher education institutes, universities, because I think uh, that we play a major role in this, especially for building up the talent pipeline that we need for the sector. And if we can embed leadership right from the outset, for me, that's a big win. So, for example, in the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction, we offer a range of programs right from the undergraduate level, postgraduate to an MBA I'll come on to the MBA in a bit, but the undergraduate programs are quite exciting as well because there's an opportunity for us to talk about leadership right from day one. And in fact, we're working on a new undergraduate program where we want to combine engineering skills with leadership skills. And in a way that students who come to look at engineering design will also look at leadership from day one. But then coming to the leadership piece, we've introduced 
an MBA in major infrastructure delivery. And this is the only MBA on planet which focuses on infrastructure delivery. Yeah, so we've learned that many applicants need to make a case in their organizations to be sponsored to get on the MBA. And I think just knowing that it's possible to make that case, um, regardless of your gender, and uh, you know, making the case perhaps particularly because of the underrepresentation. So taking all the facts we've gathered in this podcast and using that to make a case to be on the next MBA cohort, um, I think is, is an option. We are also, of course, actively trying to make sure that the speakers on the program are diversified. So we're looking for women leaders in the construction industry to come forward and, you know, be mentors, be role models to um, people on, or, well, our students on the cohort. I think we still have an imbalance at the moment, so probably an 80-20 split. But That's like the rest of the industry. Let's yeah, yes, uh, <laughs> it is representative Needs of to get the industry. Better. But yeah, we, we we really want to also, you know, um, make a case there to to change the status quo. And Julia, uh, we are ever so grateful to you for supporting us with a scholarship for women who would like to join us on the MBA program because that's a tangible action point. We're doing something tangible about it rather than just talk about barriers that women face in leadership. And I think our big ambition is to roll out a larger program to mm. get more women applicants, those who are struggling to find industry sponsorships to join us on this leadership program, because in turn, they will go back to industry. They will be inclusive and diverse leaders, we hope. They will then hopefully create a pipeline of women who are not only keen to take on leadership roles, but are well supported. And I, which I'm delighted to be able to support women through this course. And I think it's incredibly important to help in the sense not only of the education, but also the credibility of women in the workforce and actually uh, enable them to be valued in their organisations as people who will be, have a positive imp- long term impact on the organisation. Again, going back to transparency, if people see within the workplace that women are, are, are moving moving up in this way, being recognised in this way, it also assists with cultural cultural change. So we've been talking about the higher education sector, research, our ambition for more women to be leaders in construction and infrastructure. What are the factors that could influence this? And I'm thinking about, for example, the bottom line, commercial factors or benefits, or the political will. Um, I, picking up those points, where on the commercial side, um, we do have uh, certain data sets that appear to show, um, and I, I mentioned McKinsey, um, that companies that embrace diversity uh, appear to have better outcomes. But let's think about that a little bit more practically. We've got to increase our workforce. We are very short of project managers in this country, particularly project managers in infrastructure. We need to uh, really embrace the widest extent of available people who are going to help us take infrastructure forward in this country. And that is going to be both men and women. So there's a real commercial benefit in trying to attract the widest talent that we have available into the system. On the political side, I would say that it's sometimes the sort of idea of, of, of supporting women into to employment or into senior employment doesn't come through. It's not seen as being high profile enough. And 
if we if we could see that there were real drives into you know providing more financial support for women you know at that the the sort of fix the woman level so with childcare you know with with more flexible working if we could see those sorts of policies and then we could then drive them through into actually helping women into making companies more diverse i think it would be very beneficial Maybe we'll see some of that. Um, I think we've certainly seen indications that these are on people's agendas. But it's going to go right the way through from the very earliest stages. And as a final point, I would say that I find the public sector on the whole uh, more gender balanced than the private sector. Um, You know, when you look across the appointments for permanent secretaries or... I mean, I was delighted to to read that. I think, and I'm I'm hoping it's still true as as we speak. But that uh, the um, ambassadors in the major uh, G20 capitals, there, all the British ambassadors are women. So I think I think in the public sector side, we've got a lot of that cultural change. That's going to be the private sector side. I suspect we've got to push harder. Yeah, um, I think it was interesting what you said earlier with the charter that it. It's, it's inspired in a way from you know the way that safety is perceived. So it's unacceptable nowadays in the construction sector that someone might die on a construction site. We just mm. think that's not acceptable. But we still seem to think it's acceptable that we don't have women in leadership positions. Why? Why do we accept this as um, you know something that is just the way it is? But if we started with the similar thinking, if we said you know there are some things that are not acceptable in today's day and age, then perhaps many of these questions around business cases or having to prove that something will work before you even start doing it, maybe they would become less of a barrier to changing the status quo. So actually, in the future, what we want is women leadership to be business as usual. Absolutely. It shouldn't be questioned. It shouldn't be questioned. And what we want more than anything else are those stats to be normalised. You know, we're not going to you know, solve everything overnight. But I think that one of the, the interesting areas is that certainly in our, our launch, there was a great deal of political support as well um, across the board in actually making this, this real. We've, we've got a way to go in getting the uh, whatever, whatever word. I use charter for convenience at the moment. Whatever, whatever comes out, we have a way to go. But I think it's a time that we we really need to capture the feelings and frustrations and direct them towards what I've described as this very tangible outcome. Um, Well, I think UCL, the School of Sustainable Construction, is um, involved in building the coalition and we're investigating how we can support this with research and collaboration um, in order to provide the data and evidence to support building the charter. And you can find the link to the report in the show notes that come with the podcast. Massive thanks to Julia Prescott and Katerina Berger for joining us today for a very lively discussion on women leadership in construction and infrastructure. And for more information about the Bartlett Faculty of the Built Environment, you can visit our website ucl.ac.uk forward slash Bartlett and follow us on Twitter, which is now called X as well, at the Bartlett UCL.